Well, look at somebody next to you and say, worship was for you this morning. And now look at somebody on the other side of you and say, the rest is for me. Well, praise the Lord. I want to go right into something that I felt was important because obviously when God speaks, we need to listen, correct? And a few years ago when I was involved with helping um, a gathering in Philadelphia called America for Jesus, I was traveling back and forth and the, um, uh, I met with a gentleman who used to be at Wall Street and retired and he told me a story about growing up, he didn't have a great relationship with his parents. And so when he became a father, he wanted to be there for his children as best as he could. So he would get off of work in New York, go straight back to Philadelphia, try to be at every weekend event for his children. And one day, his son Brandon was uh, going to be scouted by university scouts because he's really good at crew, and, and, and they were having a, a regala. And so um, he went out there and he said, son, I, I, you know, I scream for you all the time. I'm always hollering because I'm so proud of you, Brandon, and, and I, I, I probably embarrass you. So it, I know you have a lot of scouts out, of, out there. This is going to be a big regatta. A lot of people are going to be there. Uh, if, if it embarrasses you, I'll try to keep my, my voice down. And Brandon said, Dad, you don't get it, do you? It doesn't matter about all those other voices. Of all the thousands of voices of people screaming, I don't hear them. All I hear is my father's voice. And when he said that, I thought, wow, what we need in the world of, world of noise pollution is we just hear, need to hear the father's voice, to hear him say to us, you can do this. That's my boy. That's my girl. Amen? And, uh, and so about two Decembers ago, I was asked to go speak in Vancouver, Canada, and I live in Houston, and so uh, we thought it was going to be, we thought we could just fly direct, we could have, but it was a lot cheaper to actually to fly to Seattle, get a rental car, and drive to Vancouver, Canada, and it was a spiritual son of mine who used to be a Hindu, radically Hindu, uh, back in the, uh, up until 1993, 92, and uh, he came to hear me speak when I was in Penang, Malaysia. And uh, he was at, started going to Teen Challenge in Singapore, and so they all had to come hear me speak. And for some reason, it just imbibed in his spirit, and he said, that's going to be my spiritual dad. And I'd never even heard of him after that. But all the, many years later, he started contacting me. He was a pastor now in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, so I had old cassettes and VHSs of me, you know. I'm thinking, wow, and he followed us. And so uh, th- I'd been up there many times now to Vancouver, and so he asked if I would come and do the renewing of the vows of he and his wife, and people from India were coming from Singapore, Malaysia, throughout Canada and other places. I said, absolutely. And then also to stay over and speak at two of his services on Sunday. So we did that. But while we were driving from Seattle to Vancouver, I had my 15-year-old daughter. Well, at that time, she was 13 in the back seat. My wife was sitting next to me. And of course, my daughter had her headset in, listening to music and stuff in the back. And, and I'm driving, and I hear my voice, Doug. I said, yes, honey. She goes, I didn't say anything. I got the attention of my daughter in the back, and she took the headset out, and I said, what would you say, Ashley? She goes, I didn't say anything, Dad. I'm thinking, man, I am losing it. And for most of you, you probably know the story that I, you know, I had chemotherapy back in 2015. It was actually three years ago today, or this month, that I was in New, New England, over in Haverhill, actually, over at Bethany's mom's house for a board meeting for Somebody Cares New England, and when I realized I needed to check with some doctors because I had started getting uh, gross in my, in my neck, and because uh, I, and I, I know, first noticed at the gym, and so I contacted some doctors. Turned out it was stage four lymphoma, 80% aggressive, and, and throughout the whole process of 2015. And uh, thank God by November 10th of that year, they couldn't find any more evidence of disease. Amen. Amen. 
So, you know, I joke about it. Uh, it's a chemo fog that I'm not on anymore. So uh, we're driving. So we get to Canada. We have a great weekend, did the, the renewing of their vows. And on, on Sunday morning, uh, after the services, it was a late afternoon by this time, we go to an Indian restaurant and have some good Indian food. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, the, I hear this voice again, Doug. I'm going, what is going on? And I looked at my wife, and I looked at the pastors, and I'm thinking, no one's talking to me. I thought, I really am losing it. And so we're, we decided to drive back to Seattle that night because we were scheduled to leave Monday afternoon, and we're going to stay in Vancouver Sunday night, but we heard it was going to be a snow blizzard. So we decided to drive back to Seattle, beat the snow blizzard, and not be at the Seattle airport you know, on time. So we get there. It snows all night. They shut the airport in the morning. And uh, so where I'm having devotion, it was beautiful, the snow, the, it was pristine, it was quiet. So my wife and daughter went downstairs for breakfast. And, uh, and I'm just sitting there opening my computer, open my Bible, and the, the balcony's behind me. And I'm just sitting there and just kind of pondering on some things. And, and all of a sudden, I felt this presence next to me. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. And I knew it was the presence of the Lord. I just knew if I looked... I'd see some angel going, fear not, for I'm with you or something. And, and all of a sudden I hear, and this time before the, the words even came out, I could just feel my body, feeling these chills, like that there, God's presence was there. And I heard, Doug, there was no doubt about it. Three times it took to get my attention. And I knew that if I turned, I'd see some angel, right? I sat there and I remembered Samuel as a little boy, and I turned. Nothing that was there, but I just knew. And I said, yes, Lord. And I leaned back. And that was it. And I'm thinking, Lord, that's all you're going to tell me is just call me by name? Is there anything else? And I'm just trying to process. And I just begin to get in the word and just sensing the presence of God. And I called a friend, Cindy Jacobs. I called a, the vice president over at CBN in Virginia Beach. I called other friends and intercessors, an intercessor from Germany that used to work with us. And, and every one of them said, Doug, I think God couldn't say more than your name. Because what God was trying to say is get your attention, but also he wanted to give you downloads that's beyond just a simple statement. And he already knows you would obey him anyway. And most of the time when God gives you a word, it's not for you, it's for a larger context, you and a larger context. So I had to begin to process. And in that process, I began to really sense what the Lord was saying to me and living those things out. And if you'll go with me to Isaiah 43, actually, it was a confirmation to us, because I believe it's not just for me, I believe it's for us, that God is calling us by name. Isaiah 43 says, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, and what does he say? I have called you by your name. You are mine. And I really sense what God is doing even now more than ever because with all the noise pollution and all the distractions and all the things that we can hear in the news and things going around the world, God wants our attention. The Father is calling you by your name. What is your name? Atina. God is saying, Atina, I have called you by your name. Each and every, what's your name? Jonsu. God says, I have called you by your name, Jonsu. That he formed us, and Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1 says he called us, he knew us, and beautifully made us before we were even in our mother's wombs, God called us, to be a voice to our generation and to the nations. It's not by happenstance or coincidence that God has gathered you together in Boston at a time such as this 
when your generation and, and a multi-generational move of God is about to happen, because God wants you to know that he's called you by name to be the voice of your generation and corporately together receive a corporate anointing to go forth to create a movement that will touch the nations of the world. Our being here is not by us alone. It's by many prayers and those who, who've called out to God. And we are the beneficiaries of those foundations laid and sacrifices made and, and the price paid for us to be here today. Not just from the founding fathers of, of this nation. I'm talking about those who have gone before us in intercession, in prayer, in sacrifice, who believe, God, would you redig the wells of revival in New England? God, would you gather a modern-day movement of young people who would go to the nations of the world that at all costs, they would say, Lord, my life is not my own. My life is for you. And to be a part of a time such as this to impact my generation and for the next generation to be recipients and beneficiaries of that call. As the world swirls with words and talks about all the negative things about this generation, the reality is God always calls out unlikely heroes in, in, in unlikely moments to do something great that leaves a lasting legacy for the future. And that's what God is doing here. Now, I, I really sense that God is wanting to remind us, those I shared yesterday with some of the leadership, that we are not to be a part of the swinging societal pendulum that's always moving. We need to be grounded in the, in the, in the plumb bob or the plumb line of God that is just, it's vertical. It, create, it shows a complete vertical balance and we're trying to get things in order around us. If you're building a building, the wall, is it per perfectly ver vertical? That's what a plumb bob or, or a plumb line is about. And God speaks of the importance of us being a part of the plumb line of God because God, with him, there is no shadow of turning. There is no imbalance. And the only way we're going to be able to have an influence in this generation and make a lasting legacy is to be a part of his plumb line and not the swing of the pendulum. How many know that emotions are always swinging, pendulums always move, and, and one moment societal shift will be over here, and the next moment it's over here, but those are sh shifting sands that, that are unstable. The only stability that we can have is in the stability of God. And then I was thinking about Jeremiah 1, even in context for this generation, and I was praying that this really is a word also for hilltop. Because not only is God saying, I have called you by your name, there's no coincidence with God. How many know that? We might think something is coincidence, but it's mostly, it's always providential. There's a reason why God has gathered you together. But go with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. And I, we know all the scripture here says that, that uh, I have called you by your name. Don't say that you're young anymore. Don't say that you're a youth. I, I understand that. And that is a word that God has for all of us. Don't say that you're too young to be used by God. God is, is calling us because God is the one who establishes. He's the one who appoints and he's the one who sends. And so, but if you look at with me in verse 11 and 12, I believe this is an important word for the church today and an important word for Hilltop today. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? I said, this is Jeremiah, I see a branch of an almond tree. Now, when you look at the fullness of what he's saying, that means something extravagant, something amazing, something awesome. I see the branch of an almond tree. Wow, this is incredible. It's beautiful. So he's saying it's magnificent. What I'm seeing is magnificent. And then he goes on to say, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. 
So let's look at the individual context and then the corporate context with us this morning. What is the promises God has given to you? Long before you came here, long before you're, you're in the, the place that you're living today, the, the, the job you're in, the school you're in, long before that, God began to speak in ways maybe you didn't recognize then, but in retrospect, you see them as landmarks along the way. Long before I surrendered to the call of God and long before I started serving God, I began to look back now and think, wow, he, was, he had his hand on me all along the way trying to get my attention. And even in the worst of the worst of situations in my life, he was looking out for me to bring me to this moment where I would surrender to him. That's the providence of God. And what he's saying is, I want to fulfill my word that I promised you even then. But in a corporate context, God is saying, I, I was sensing out there, you know, that you've made the move in the last three months uh, to be here. And in some ways, it's, it's nice because you have all the extra space and rooms. But I believe what God wants to do at Hilltop and Justice House of Prayer is bigger than a geographic moment or location. I believe God has divinely put together many gifts and many people together a multi-generational, multi-ethnic gathering of people that will be part of a movement of being sent because God is appointing, God is equipping, and God is sending those that are gathered together to the nations of the world so that one day, if the Lord should tarry, you won't just read about revival's past. You will have said, I've been a part of a movement of what God has done in my generation. I also believe this is a moment where God is saying, look, you've got to get my perspective. Don't let all the noise and all the distractions disillusion you. Get your perspective. Keep yourself on the vertical plumb line or plumb of God. And don't be pulled by every swing of emotion. Don't be pulled by every societal swing. Know what you believe and go deeper in consecration and higher in expectation in God. When you look at, at uh, Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, all of us love that scripture when it says, that those who know their God shall do great exploits. That's pretty powerful. Wow, if you know God, you can do anything. There's nothing impossible to God, and that's awesome. But if you go to the next couple of verses, what ends up happening is you see that those who teach you will fail. Now, the context of that is we see a shaking going on that when we put our hope in institutions or people, they will always let us down. That's why I tell my own wife and my daughter and friends and those that have followed me, I said, look, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a human frailty. I will let you down. But I can tell you what, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He will never disappoint you. He will never let you down because his love never disappoints. But that word yada means, Y-A-D-A, those who know their God, and the context is that you will do great things and exploits in that name. But yada is not to know about who God is. Yada means to have a relationship, an interactive relationship, an intimate relationship with God himself. I was sharing yesterday when years ago I was doing 10 years of, of Bible studies every week in a hotel, and we had prostitutes and gang members and pastors and missionaries and business people. When they came, they had to leave their title outside and just come worship together, and it didn't matter what they were outside those doors. And one day we were coming to the ballroom at the hotel we were using, and and uh, I heard some other music from another ballroom, so I went over there and noticed it was a worship team, and I said, hey, what's going on? They said, oh, we're going to have a citywide time of worship. I said, that's awesome. We're taking over the hotel. They said, well, who are you with? And I said, you know, in the name of our ministry. He goes, oh, you mean with Doug Stringer? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, he's my good friend. 
I said, really? He goes, what's your name? I go, Doug Stringer. <laughs> now, uh, he was trying to get a relationship. He was trying to get a, a equity by association. And I, I felt bad for him, actually. Now, he, now he's a pretty well-known worship leader. And now I do joke him. says, do you know Doug Stringer? He goes, I know Doug Stringer now, for sure. <laughs> but you see, to, it was one thing to know who Doug Stringer was or to know who Jesus is or who Billy Graham was or Martin Luther King. It's another thing to actually have a relationship. It's one thing to have had an acquaintance with someone or interface with them, but to really know them is to know what makes them tick. What is it about their character and nature? What is it about them that so attracts you to them? What, what is it that attracts you to Jesus and why you want Jesus to abide with you? That's to yada with God. And the New Testament correlation to that would be in, in Philippians 3.10 when it says, it says, those who, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his passions. Now, in some translations, it says sufferings. But that's not enough because to have the, understand the, the, the fellowship of his passion is to know his heart and what makes him tick and why he does what he does and why he would be willing to go to the cross and suffer for us. It wasn't just about the suffering. It was about all-encompassing love and interaction and the passion for him, for his love for you, and for those who would be used by him to go into their appointed call and destiny. So you have yada, Y-A-D-A, to know God, and you have Kenosko in, in Philippians chapter 3. That is, that is to know God in this interactive relationship. And in that context, we have true kairos or kairos moments with God where God does something so significant that we can hear his voice and move and obey quickly when God speaks. And that's where we are right now. Because what God wants to do is going to be a suddenly moment. In fact, that's what I see in Jeremiah chapter 1. When he says, for I am ready to perform my word. When we are ready and we have been in that kind of relationship with God, then God begins to move, and it's not something we have to think about, we don't have to process. I know in some of our Western linear thinking, everything's about, okay, A, B, C, D, it fits this way, one, two, three, four. And, and maybe some of you Asians will understand that we can take a two-lane uh, two highway and turn it into six. It's more fluid. It's your moving and, you know, it ebbs and flows. And, and that's what we're preparing for when God begins to move. We've already had to prepare our hearts. Revelation 19 says that the, it says, Let us uh, be glad and rejoice for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Preparing the bride. So for us, it's an issue of not trying to strive, but to prepare our hearts before the king of kings and the one who's done so much for us so that when he speaks, we have that relationship and we could do great exploits in his name because he's the one who has called us, appointed us, commissions us, and anoints us for a time such as this. I was thinking about a guy named Rei Hoshizaki-san or K.A.G. Hoshizaki. And during... World War II as an American of Asian descent that uh, many Asians, uh, mostly Japanese Americans, but others were, were pulled into interim camps. And, uh, but he was a student at Baylor University. And while he was there, they allowed him to stay at the university and not be put in a camp, even though family members were put in. And during that time, he had a passion for God. He began to talk to some of the other students and said, we need to see and pray for God to bring a campus revival. 
can we invite some evangelists to come to the university? And they all began to pray about it and said, no, we think you're supposed to lead it. He goes, I'm the unlikely person here. I, I don't think it's going to work. If you have, you know, there's animosity to, to, you know, to Japanese Americans and Asians all the time. Because I don't think I'm the one. They go, no, we think you're the one. As a result, God began to move, and there was a huge move of God in Waco, Texas, near Baylor University, where thousands of young people began to come into the fields just to seek God and to worship God. And through that, a campus movement began to sweep into other campuses that began to go out from that school at the time during World War II. Well, many, many wealthy uh, businesses have come out of that. People that were students then, God gave visions to go do things to sow back into the kingdom. People that are federal judges, people that are grocery store owners. A great move came that still exists today. There's a residual of what happened back in the 40s. He was then sent out as the first missionary from the North American Missions Board to Japan after World War II. But he was such a humble man, he never really talked about it. There's been books written about it. There's been articles written about it. But he never really talked about it. In fact, it's mandatory reading in some classes at Baylor University. His own kids grew up as missionary kids, were born in Japan. And when they were in university, they're reading a book and they go, wait a minute, that sounds like our dad. <laughs> I mean, he didn't brag on what God did. He was just a simple guy, an unlikely hero, an unlikely person for God to use in an unlikely time. We live in a day that maybe you feel like you would be that unlikely person that's connected to a movement together that can impact the nations of the world. You read about it. You long for it. You pray for it. You fast for it. You fast and believe, God, can you do? And knowing this, that God is about to perform his word. Amen. What has he promised you? There are some of you in this room right now that you have wondered if God's going to answer certain things you've placed in your heart that you've said, God, I, this is something I'm longing for. And God is saying, I'm about to perform my word. And he's saying to you, what do you see? He's saying to you, what is, I have called you by your name. I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. I have called you by your name to be a voice to your generation. This is that moment. Those who know their God, yada, shall do great exploits. Those who know their God, Kenosko, shall understand the passions of God's heart and what drives him to want to do something in you to implore a generation to come to him and get a revelation of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. Now, maybe this is just me, but I sense that even as you're going, Pastor, into this Easter season and understanding the work of the cross, could it be this is that moment? Could it be that this is that moment you too in a dream, in, in, in words of thinking, is that, what, what was that? Doug, whatever your name is, put your name there. God is calling you by your name. This is a moment where God wants to say to us that it's not an accident. It's not, it's not a happenstance of why you are who you are and where you are. God knows your past. We can't change our past, but the decisions we make every day determine our future. Could this be that moment God is saying, I'm calling you by your name for this moment to remind you that I have made you beautifully and wonderfully. I knew you before you were in mother's womb, and I've called you to be a voice to your generation, and I'm about to use you in a corporate context to impact the nations of the world. Is that dreaming too big? I was taking time to seek the Lord for this season, and I was in Orlando, Florida, and sometimes I get, uh, get words from God in weird ways, right? Either audibly or, you know, in a dream. Or I'm at the gym. I like to work out. 
Uh, later this year, I'll be 40 for the 22nd time. <clears throat> and so I'm working out, and, and all of a sudden I look up and says, it says, be strong, don't quit, dream big. I began to process, that's it. Be strong in the Lord so we can know him and do great exploits too, to understand the passions of his heart. Be strong, but don't quit. We have to have a persevering spirit, not to look at what we're going through, but to look at where we're going. Hilltop, where are we going? What is God's core purposes for what he's, why he's brought you together? It's not about just being a student. It's not just about being on a job. We are all ambassadors to the culture in which we live, and ultimately God has a greater plan. And then he says, dream big. What's the dream? Be strong. Don't quit. Dream big. Know God. Know his passions. Do great exploits. I have called you by your name. Now, let me ask you. I'm never finished. I'm just going to quit. Of all the disappointments that can come in our lives, the things that knock the wind out of us, these voices we hear from the external stresses of life and the media and everything else, you know, giving, speaking over you. Don't listen to what's spoken over you. Listen to what he has already spoken to you, about you. And that he is the one, Yahweh, who, who saves, Yahweh, who anoints, Yahweh, who appoints, Yahweh, who calls, and Yahweh, who sends you. Because I really believe, and I've told you before, that Hilltop, and the foundations of this congregation and of, of Justice House of Prayer is born in presence and prayer. God is preparing you and percolating you to do something greater than just having another kumbaya get together. God has brought you together for a divine moment. Because an Acts church is a church that is a sanctified church. Individuals coming together who say, Lord, I want to be consecrated and sanctified in you. Secondly, the book of Acts teaches what an Acts church is. As a church, it's a sanctified church. It's a sacrificial church, willing to make sacrifices together for the greater cause. Thirdly, uh, th that uh, Acts church is also a serving church. In Acts chapter 2, when the outpouring came to Acts chapter 6, was eight years approximately. And from that point, that things began to move. The power of God and presence was there. Things were happening. But then in a period of time, they recognized there were some practical things that had to be done to take care of the ministry of the people around them. So people from amongst them were raised up with good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, that could be appointed to take care of the serving of the community so that the others can keep the vision moving for the larger context and not leave us comfortable. And then ultimately, an Acts church is a church that is a sending church. Yeah. And I love that about what you do. Already, you're not waiting for that best appropriate time. You're saying, God, there are people coming up. They're ready. Send them out. God, they're ready. Send them out. God is multiplying in ways you don't see in the natural right now. But God has multiplied what your influence of this ministry and congregation to the nations of the world. By various connections, you're already touching nations. Wow, part of something bigger than yourself. So, Father, I pray right now.